now. Hello. Hi, welcome to Loitering. I'm Mandy. I'm Justine. And uh, this is oh, a podcast about the a... art you can't get over. <laughs> We're losing Oh yeah, it. we said it backwards. It's, it's fine. It's remote. It's our first time doing this remote, so I'm going to try not to shout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to, yeah, this is because it's also the first time we're doing it remote. This is the first time we're doing um, like separate microphones and the microphones are a lot closer to us, our faces. Very true. So that'll be something. Yeah. Too. It will. Yeah. But we're coming at you remote. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about today? We're talking about Kirsten Dunst movies. Um, body of work her body of work because we realized that Kirsten Dunst is someone we both can't get over Mm -hmm. and we realized this in a hotel room in Destin Florida yeah so like the week before all the shit started hitting all the fans Justine and I went to Florida for uh, our friend's wedding which was lovely and beautiful and um, we shared a room because we didn't want to pay for separate rooms they were just, terribly expensive yeah they were nice rooms yeah very yeah yeah it was a really nice weekend but one day when we were getting ready and we had already had like a drink and a half we just turned on the tv and guess what was on it was marie antoinette and it was one a wonderful thing to watch while you're getting ready it was it's just decadent and french and kirsten <laughs> and amazing. yes Yeah, and her character gets a lot of the typical Kirsten Dunst attitude in it. Um, And then the next morning, we were sad that we hadn't watched all of Marie Antoinette because we had to start getting ready. Um, Mm -hmm. So the next morning, we laid in bed together and watched the Kirsten Dunst movie Dick, which... Another uh, great one. Another great one. With Michelle Williams about the Nixon era. Yeah, the Watergate scandal. Yes, it's like what's I, the right word to put after Watergate <laughs> scandal? I realized I don't want to just Google Dick. <laughs> Dick Kirsten Dunst is a 1999 American comedy film. It was a it was a really nice way to spend the morning with you. It was, yeah. And Kirsten Dunst, man, just is a really big part, I think, of our lives in a way that it's difficult to identify because Mm -hmm. she's a part of so many major pieces of work that we've seen. And I don't want to say she's a background uh, character in people's lives, but she's just, yeah, in a way that you don't automatically think of. She's somebody that's important, I feel like, to our generation. Absolutely. I think I mean, we were just earlier thinking of movies that we would want to talk about that have her in it, and we we came across Little Women, Jumanji, Spider Man, Bring It On, and then Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. So like all the things that people our age grew up with, Um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't even remember she was in Jumanji until I looked her up and saw it on her uh, results page. Yeah. So what was your first exposure to Kirsten Dunst? When did you first notice her? It had to have been, had to have been Little Women. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a very important movie for me. Susan Sarandon plays the mother in the 90s version of Little Women. She reminds me quite a bit of my own mother. Mm-hmm. Um, loved the Little Women book. And then Kirsten Dunst plays a young Amy March. Mm. And in that movie, they split up um, the characters who play Amy, like the childhood one and the adult one. Mm -hmm. But um, Kirsten Dunst just like really nailed the childhood Amy. You know, she's obsessed with her nose and she thinks Laurie is so cool and so hot. Oh, she's just such a great actress in that. I can see her. Are you familiar with that one? I'm not familiar with that one. I think I saw it once several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can just see her being like really spunky and forthright in her very Kirsten Dunst way. Yes, yes. There yeah. are some lines that stick out like, you'll pay for this, Joe March, and her little <laughs> Kirsten Dunst face like yes. scrunches up. That's when she throws the manuscript into the fire. But Oh, yeah. 
but yeah, Kirsten Dunst just does this thing so well where she's, yeah, like you said, like really like spunky and, but then she really makes you feel for her too. Mm-hmm. Um, just as an actress, she has a lot of great range and she even did as a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just thinking now her going away when uh, Beth gets scarlet fever is not unlike the quarantine experience we're going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. So she had to go Aunt Joe or Aunt, uh, what's, what's Aunt March's first name? I don't know. I think it's Aunt March. Just Aunt March. What, <laughs> that's what they call her in the new Greta Gerwig version. Just Aunt March. Yeah. She's also played by Meryl Streep in that one. Mm-hmm. Which is fantastic. Yes, which is hard to beat. Yeah. Who is she played by in the first one? Or, or in, not in the first one, but in the 94 version? Good question. I can see that actress's face, but I don't know her name. She's like mm-hmm. your quintessential 90s old lady role. I hate to say that. That doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> um, no, I think... Um, <laughs> like, you'd, you'd recognize her, but I don't know yeah. who she is. Little Women 94... Uh, I feel like I can hear her voice too. Her voice is very iconic. Yeah. Um, you're um, Josephine. You're letting in a draft. <laughs> uh, I can't find a cast list. Mary Wicks as Aunt Josephine March. Oh, Josephine. Yeah. The only March family member who still has a lot of money. But yeah, you're really into the new one. I am really into the new one. <laughs> I love Greta Gerwig and I love uh, Saoirse Ronan mm-hmm. and um, all of those actresses actually, none of them are American, first of all. Saoirse Ronan is Irish, Emma Watson is British, Florence Pugh is, I think, British. Mm-hmm. And then the woman who plays Beth, Eliza Scanlon, is Australian. Like, none of them are American, but they're all so they seem very American actresses. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting, like an outsider's perspective of the American way of being. Yeah. Bring something different to it. Yeah. The director is American, but those actresses embody a kind of American girlhood that I don't know, really spoke to me. Absolutely. Well, and it's Civil War era too, so that's also kind oh, of yeah. Americanness that even we can't really access in any sort of authentic way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yes, back to Kirsten Dunst. I definitely watched Jumanji a lot as a small child, but mm-hmm. um, I think I was much more enamored with uh, Robin Williams in that. Oh, for sure. So I think my first actual exposure to Kirsten Dunst was Spider-Man, which came out when I would have been like 11 or 12. I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, I remember being very enamored with um, Mary Jane in that movie. Yes, yes. Oh, she's so pretty. (laughs) And then, of course, Bring It On. Bring It On was probably the biggest one for me. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing Jumanji as a kid, but I think the concept of it really freaked me out. So I mm-hmm. didn't like watch it a ton of times. Oh, okay. Um, but there I was definitely movies. spooked by it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really a freaky concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bring It On was one that I watched over and over yes. and over again. Absolutely. I was in cheerleading my eighth grade year because oh, all, the I didn't girls, oh yeah, all the girls were in cheerleading. There were only eight mm. of us. So. <laughs> so we all did everything. Yeah. <laughs> but I tried to like learn the dance, like the choreographed <gasps> dance to like uh-huh. teach everyone. So I spent like hours in my room. By <laughs> but then everyone was like, no, we don't want to copy. So we ended up putting together like the dumbest dance that like other schools made fun of us for. It was but I was like, we should have just done the bring it on one that I spent 17 hours with. Yeah. <laughs> but also you learned the message of bring it on, which is not to take other people's stuff. Exactly. Can I tell you the it's most infuriating true. thing a man has ever told me? Yes. Bring it on was on TV. I was at his house apartment and I was like, we should watch bring it on. And he said, isn't that movie about how it's okay to steal from black people? And I was like, that is the literal opposite message of that movie. Not. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think this is going to work out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. But yeah, that movie, 
I don't think my parents were super aware of what that movie was about as, as, until like it was far too late to separate me from it. It, it was just like a cheerleading movie for them but I would go to my neighbor's house and we would watch that movie on repeat like all day all summer and I just I didn't get it because I was like 12 mm-hmm. but then I rewatched it at some point in college and I was like oh shit is this actually a very good movie <laughs> yeah yeah that was like it coincided with I finally got like a tv in my room which was mm-hmm you know, kind of gratuitous because we never had cable, but it had like a built-in VCR. So like Uh I somehow got bring it on on VHS. So I just played it over and over Mm -hmm. again in my room on this tiny little TV. Yeah. Yeah. And Kirsten Dunst in that role is, uh, I, was that maybe her first lead role? No, Dick would have been the first, um, bring it it on. Around the same time though, could have even been both 99. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. I was in eight, I graduated eighth grade in 2002. Mm-hmm. So 2000 I, or 2001, maybe. Yeah. I feel like she's a little bit older and bring it on. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it couldn't have been too long after if Dick was 99. Yeah. Bring it on was 2000. So it was just, yeah, a year later. Man, such a, it has three stars on IMDb. That's a six garbage. out of 10. It has a 52% on Metacritic and a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a really good movie. Yeah, that's absolute garbage. It's smart. It's respectful, I guess. I think for the most part, I don't think it's too nice to... Uh, well, there are a couple gay characters in it, and it's not like yeah. horribly offensive. I um, mean, for the, like 2000, it's leaps and bounds above its time. yeah. I, I guess in my memory, I just remember it as being this, um, this of this era of like two thousands feminist movies that are um, like once I saw a box DVD set that had Bring It On, Mean Girls, Legally Blonde, and Thirteen Going on Thirty in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it was just this like feminist movie era of like the early 2000s yeah I really love all of those movies which isn't surprising because I'm a millennial woman yeah they were targeted toward us for sure yeah it's for us yes um there were some weird parts of bring it on though I'm just now remembering like some of the scene and like the imagery was like kind of off yeah there's a scene where they're on um like a swing set that's like weirdly oversized that looks like it's like for a giant and you're like where are they yeah (laughs) are these people secretly very small um I just remember rewatching that in college, like right after I heard the term cultural appropriation for the first time. And I was like, oh yeah, like I had no idea what this movie was actually doing when I was 12. I had no idea what that meant or like what the consequences of it were. But then I remember being little and feeling like satisfied that they didn't win the championship at the end. Mm-hmm. that um the clovers the um the high school the predominantly black high school cheerleading team um won instead and I was like that's the right thing because they had like stolen yeah. their stuff so I understood like the core principle of like don't steal stuff but I didn't have the big like nuanced discussion in my mind yet of like this is a theft. tradition yeah yeah and so Gabrielle it, Union plays the head cheerleader at Clover's, mm-hmm. right? She's yes. pretty awesome in that yes. one. Uh, like, there's a, that interesting scene where Kirsten Dunst, like, gets money from her dad to sponsor the yeah. Clover's to go, mm-hmm. which is interesting on her part because she's like, I want to compete against the best, and it's not fair that you guys can't afford to go. So she tries to fix yeah. it. She tries to fix it in a way, but, like, they're not wanting to accept Mm -hmm. a handout which it's just an interesting trajectory there yeah it's she identifies it's wrong and wants to do something about it but she's not able to do it in a way that's acceptable Mm -hmm. I think yeah I think it that movie kind of taught 
probably I'm thinking for people who are a little older than us people in like their late teens early 20s that movie was probably like a really good microcosm of um what that experience of cultural appropriation looks like and like how to because Kirsten Dunst like and there's also that middle part where Kirsten Dunn's character goes to that um, guy, the Jassians guy, yes. and ends up going to a competition and realizing that he has given the same dance to other teams. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, we're going to like get our dance from this guy and it doesn't work out. So she's like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to do it ourselves. And they like make their own routine. And she's just continually trying to like be a better person, but she doesn't know how. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think his name's like Sparky Palastri or something yeah. ridiculous, <laughs> but the spirit fingers guy. But um, she gets his name from her boyfriend who's cheating oh, on her yeah. in college. And who had so also she- been a cheerleader, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So there's like an interesting thing going on too, where like she has identified herself as a cheerleader Mm -hmm. and that's who she is. But she's also aligned her identity with this idea that their school is the best. Mm -hmm. They are the best. They've had the best cheer program for years on years. They keep winning. And then she realizes when she becomes captain that that has all been a sham. Mm -hmm. Actually, they've been, you know, like stealing these cheer routines so it really messes with her sense of identity mm-hmm. at the same time and then people who she has trusted probably throughout her high school career like this older boyfriend like are leading her astray and so she has to identify for herself what it means to be a leader yeah. and what it means to actually be creative and to be this best choreographer this best mm-hmm. cheerleading squad like what that actually means yeah and she's also i really like what you said is um she's identified herself as a cheerleader and i think the movie is kind of her coming to terms with what the institution of her cheerleading squad looks like and how it is messed up and it is it's weird to think of bring it on as a movie about institution but it kind of is it absolutely is yeah um what's her friend's name because the new girl is also eliza dushku Yes. The yes, woman of my dreams. Oh my God. I love her so much. <laughs> but what's her name in the movie? Missy? Is yes. It? I have but, the cast list open here. Oh, perfect. Missy Pantone. But she really like helps her come into her own as well. But there's a great line where she says, relax, it's only cheerleading. And Kirsten mm-hmm. Dunst is like, I am only cheerleading. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. <laughs> Did you see the, the Netflix uh, documentary called Cheer? I haven't yet, but you said that was really good to check out. It's really good. Um, I recommend it if people are looking for like a good documentary that's also cheerleading based. Um, I, yeah, I I thought it was really good. Um, there is a a real life person on that cheerleading squad who reminds me a lot of that character and bring it on. Cool. Uh, she's like kind of the like moody goth girl burnout type, but she's also mm-hmm. an incredible gymnast. And awesome. she is, um, yeah, like recruited onto this cheerleading squad and she is just crushing it. There's also an interesting like um, tradition or uh, tradition is the wrong word, but atmosphere, I guess, of those kind of tournaments that's like very indicative <laughs> of that like late 90s, early 2000s that I really identified with because I wasn't like a cheerleader that went to different schools or anything, but that like cloud of hairspray that you walk into yes like the girls are all French braiding their hair this really interesting sort of atmosphere that was automatically identifiable mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I did like a lot of volleyball tournaments but oh, interesting. it was still kind of like that same atmosphere where all these girls have their gym bags and they're in little circles and yeah <laughs> yeah I feel like the 90s is kind of when cheerleading kind of blew up and became like accelerated itself as a really intense sport I remember my cousin did cheerleading and I could never really understand what it was she did Mm -hmm. but that's a really good movie it really is I think maybe this will this will become a a lockdown movie (laughs) yeah I really want to watch it again now what's the boy's name Missy's uh brother is it Cliff it is Cliff 
Nice. Yeah. Memory isn't failing me today. Yeah. Um, but there's a, I love the teeth brushing scene. Yeah, that was that really cute. Great. It's super cute. I also, I think it's part of that scene, but um, there's a part where Kirsten Dunst is like dancing in her room mm-hmm. while he is dancing in his room and they're like thinking about each other and yeah. it's, it's really cute. He writes her like a little song that's mm-hmm. on a cassette tape. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the thing that inspires her mm-hmm. to make the new uh, routine. I have landed on Kirsten Dunst's IMDb page. Before we move on to the next movie, I may mm-hmm. need to take a slight break. Okay. I'm back. some blackberries. Ooh, yum. All right. So what next in the Kirsten Dunst canon? So... Oh, yeah. I'm thinking Marie Antoinette is like 2006, 2007, if I had to guess. Mm, she's in a lot of uncredited roles. 2006. Nice. Here's, uh, Marie Antoinette. Yeah, so I haven't seen the full movie of Marie Antoinette in a long time. I'll tell you, it doesn't end well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it does end with the... Uh, the inevitable. Okay. Yes. And for those of you who are not familiar with French history, she loses her head. She does. She loses. It just it comes right off. She's also in the Virgin Suicides. She is. Yeah. And I know another one we wanted to touch on was um, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Oh, I love that one. Yes. Um, man, Mona Lisa Smile. Oh yeah, with Julia Roberts. Hmm. Yes, so because I am less familiar with Marie Antoinette, why, what is it about the movie that you like so much? I think that it really does a great job aesthetically of setting up what it may have been like in that time, but Mm -hmm. with, you know, obviously your millennial sort of flair with the music, and it kind of has like a Baz Luhrmann feel, kind of like how Juliet did, just in terms of like, the um, old school coming into a new light that's really pleasing yeah Um, I know the like the poster art and the promo art for it is very contemporary yeah contemporary is the word I was grasping for yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah (laughs) or um anachronistic maybe yes yes yes. I just like that word a lot Mm -hmm. um from what I saw of when we were getting ready it looks like the ceremony and the pomp and everything was was very instilled in that movie, was like at the forefront, but then also Kirsten Dunst was playing this very human character, and she was bringing a lot of like real humanity and understanding to that very famous historical character. Absolutely, yeah. And historically, it's really interesting. I think that it sheds a light on like what it would have been like to be a royal at that time. Mm-hmm. So she comes in as like an Austrian princess mm-hmm. into the French court. And when she comes in, when the movie starts, she's really just a little girl. You know, mm-hmm. she's like giggling with her friends who are like on her court, probably. She has mm-hmm. her little puppy that she loves. And one of the uh, traditions was that they had to shed every remnant of a foreign court. So she literally had to strip down completely naked. They take away her dog. They take away her friends. They take away everything and dress her in like a French style. So it's like a tradition that Mm -hmm. like no piece of a foreign court will come into the French court or something. Obviously has never met this dude before, Mm -hmm. has to get married. And then a big part is that, like, he has been, you know, raised in this weird little sheltered lifestyle, too, probably doesn't know much about sex or is scared about mm-hmm. it, so he doesn't consummate the marriage. And mm-hmm. then there's this pressure on her from her parents' writing that she hasn't conceived, from his family, mm-hmm. from the whole court. There's just a really interesting um historical lens that I think you see throughout all that yeah and you really see the holes in like the monarchist system mm-hmm. in a way that like you see pre-revolutionary monarchies um 
which obviously this is a pre-revolutionary monarchy for France, but I think you see this with like the Romanovs in Russia too, Mm -hmm. how it starts to happen when you have um, members of the monarchy who are just so vastly unprepared to do anything resembling leadership. Mm -hmm. That's when obviously terrible things start to go wrong in the country. People get Mm -hmm. really upset and yeah, I think it's a really interesting movie to be popular in 2006 because we're kind of at like the height of this like American sort of dominant yeah. culture of decadence too. Which- I'm also thinking of the person who was president in 2006 who was literally the son of another president who was Correct. vastly unprepared to lead. Correct. Um, or you know, he had been governor, but was not prepared to lead in, like, huge times of crisis, like, right. many of right. which happened during his presidency, like, yeah. or our current situation in which the son of a wealthy business owner is now president and has perhaps botched a pandemic response. <laughs> yeah, so it's a really interesting one to revisit in these mm-hmm. times because these are like the closest times that I think America has come to that sort of like monarchy because we are a democracy, but, but yeah, the Bushes for sure. That was, um, that was a very different note in American history. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of that as like a, that movie in the context of the two thousands, but that would have also been um, after both of the wars started. Mm Mm-hmm after Katrina. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I I don't remember that getting that movie getting like a hugely popular reception. It's also rated a 6.4 on IMDb. I remember a quote going around the internet a while ago that Kirsten Dunst said to a reporter that was like her saying like, you guys, as in the press, didn't really like my work until much later. Like, I've been doing all this work, but you guys didn't really respond to it until later. And she references, I think in that quote, she references Dick and Marie Antoinette and says, mm-hmm. like, you guys really like it now, but um, where were you when that movie was coming out? Yeah. And yeah, and I think that. I mean, like, I don't think a lot of her movies are very highly rated, but she's in a ton of really good stuff. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind um, has an eight. I mean, that's, like, considered a, a cult classic of that era. But, um, oh, her character in Melancholia is named Justine. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's my name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've wanted to see that movie for a long time, but I've never gotten a chance to see it. Now's the time. Now is the time. But yeah, Marie Antoinette is also a very long movie. Oh, okay. Um, and there is a sense, to be fair, of somebody who like is really a fan of it to try to look at it from the other side. It's mm-hmm. really long and it's not super plot heavy because mm-hmm. it's like historical and they're following like real people's lives, which are kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. I just... um I was having a little bit of an anxiety spiral about uh, the pandemic a few nights ago. So I just got on YouTube and YouTube was like, here, watch some crazy ex-girlfriend videos. Yeah. So in one of them was uh, life doesn't make narrative sense. So true. So true. It reminds me of um, that, what you were just saying. Yeah. And I think that they are a little bit more concerned with how everything looks than how everything's written in Mm -hmm. terms of like dialogue and Mm -hmm. um, moving the plot along. So I could see that from somebody's perspective who isn't that into um, Kirsten Dunst as a person or Mm -hmm. (laughs) that period of history and what it looked like. And Yeah. I also wonder if we were expecting different things from movies at the time and, and it's more popular in like our current, understanding of what we want from movies because mm-hmm. it I'm surprised that that movie in particular Marie Antoinette is not rated higher on yeah. from like audience ratings 
Well, because Jason Schwartzman is Louis the Sixteenth in that. Right? Yeah, and he's yeah. pretty popular usually, but he does kind of like have a cult following too, like mm-hmm. his movies and his work. Is he in American Pie? He is not. Oh, that's Jason Biggs, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Or did I just get their names mixed up? I don't think so. Yeah, Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. Who looks very familiar? Oh, he was in Legally Blonde. Yeah. He was the good lawyer in Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do we want to talk about Dick, which we yes. both just saw recently? Yes, that was so fun. That was fun. To set the scene, Justine and I woke up and we bought Marie Antoinette on Amazon Prime. And then it was like, do you want to watch this other movie? And we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to watch that one instead. Yes. And it was Dick featuring... Uh, Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams and um, basically the plot of this movie is that Kirsten Dunst is kind of like a Forrest Gump situation but with Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams totally um, where they just kind of stumble into the Watergate scandal and Michelle Williams character falls in love with Richard Nixon (laughs) and they become like the official dog walkers of their dog uh, the first man of the first or the president the first lady's dog and yeah they just like bring like accidentally bring down the whole situation it's it's fun it's also very campy in the Kirsten Dunst tradition um in that mm-hmm. like late 90s kind of uh camp movie I guess yeah, one of my favorites is, you know, there's like 18 minutes of tape missing from Nixon's yeah. like recorded tapes. And in the movie, Michelle Williams like professes her love to him and sings Olivia Newton-John songs. And mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst comes in and it's like, come on, we've got to go. It's been like 18 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I think she says the, the like the full time stamp. She's like, it's been like 18 minutes and 26 seconds or something. <laughs> it's really, it's... um. Yeah, and then there's, oh, what was it the the uh, the senior White House aide who was crappy Kissinger? Kissinger? That's who I was thinking. I was like, I don't know if that's the right person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Henry Kissinger is a is a featured character in that, and he'll like walk around muttering under his breath, like, "I'm the only person in this administration who cares." <laughs> um, it's, it's delightful. Very good. Yeah, and it it. I guess the reason it remind that also reminds me of that like early two thousands campiness is that it reminds me of the way that like Reese Witherspoon is playing a very archetypal ditzy character and then bringing a little bit of uh, like nuance to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams are both doing that with the, those characters. They're like spunky and. Uh, ditzy and they don't they aren't following what's going on politically but they still have like a moral compass inside of them yeah like at one point they stand up to Richard Nixon in the Oval Office that's exactly the moment I was thinking yeah (laughs) they're like you don't what's the dog's name I was just trying to think is it like it's like sprinkle checkers checkers yes it's yeah they're like you don't like checkers and you're a liar and and you have a potty mouth and you're prejudiced (laughs) Because I think Kirsten Dunst hears him say something about, like, Jews on uh-huh. tapes. And she's like, I'm Jewish. And he's like, I know. I have a file on each one of you. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, are grades in there? <laughs> he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how much both your parents pay in taxes. And <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Oh, and then there's the part where... Um, her older brother, Kirsten Dunst, his older brother, mm-hmm. uh, is watching like a porno called Deep Throat, and that's where they yes. they're like pranking the um, newspaper people, and they're like Deep Throat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where the um, super secret name comes from. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was thinking about this when we were watching it. I don't know when Mark felt like revealed his identity, but I wonder if that movie came out before then. Oh, good question. Because in the movie, Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams are deep throat. Right. 
deep throat informant. In 2005, Woodward wrote that he first met Feltz. So yeah, that would have been after, after that movie came out. Yeah, like which makes sense because mm-hmm. it was still such a mystery, and they were like, "Let's solve this mystery with a comedy." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's which a very like cute. fun approach to a like a period piece. Yes. Oh, one of my favorite parts too is um, they have this recipe for cookies called Hello Dolly's. I was just thinking about the this. walnuts at uh-huh. her house. And they keep bringing it to, like, the White House officials and the, mm-hmm. like, guards, and everyone loves it. Yeah. But there's um, a meeting with, like, Russian operatives where they all, like, start singing Hello, Dolly, which is, mm-hmm. Hello, Dolly. <laughs> and then they all, like, hold these brownies up and, like, point to them, and they're like, yeah! <laughs> like, I'm, Hello, Dolly. <laughs> I wasn't sure when I was watching if, like, they were supposed to understand what was going on in the cookies or if they like everyone didn't know or if just Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams didn't know yeah you get the sense that like no one really knew except the brother yeah he was like secretly (laughs) getting everyone high getting the president (laughs) high which is wonderful yes Um, you want to talk a little bit about eternal sunshine yeah I think I've only seen this once because it made me so sad. <laughs> yeah, it's a very emotional movie, but it's a really good one to revisit too. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting role for Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so one the of premise, his first serious roles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The premise of the film, if y'all haven't seen it, is there is this man and you get a sense when you're waking up with him that he feels sad, but he's not quite sure why. There mm-hmm. are pages missing from his diary. Um, and he just feels drawn to like leave or call out of work and like go to the beach for the day. And he's not quite sure why. And it becomes clear that there's this like clinic operating in the background that like erases people's memories and that he's done mm-hmm. this. And as like an elective procedure, like yes. people can go in and choose to have their memories erased. And pretty um, particularly to have like certain people erased from their mm-hmm. memories, right? Certain yeah. people that induce painful memories. So mm-hmm. um, exes, uh, you see like a lady in there that like maybe her son or something mm-hmm. has died and it just is causing too much grief. So they'll take these memories out of people's brains. It's this really interesting like futuristic comment yeah. on the nature of memory too. Mm-hmm. Um, Because you get a sense like the time is like still it's contemporary, but it's this futuristic procedure that's really interesting. Yeah. And um, Kirsten Dunst's character, I keep finding myself saying Dunst. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hard possessive thing to say. (laughs) Dunst. Dunst. Kirsten. Yeah. When when I'm giving her a possessive, it's challenging. (laughs) But her character... Her character is uh, working in this clinic and is fiercely loyal to the doctor who does these mm-hmm. procedures. You can tell she really loves him. She thinks what he's doing is so great. Mm-hmm. And spoiler alert, uh, turns out that she's had this procedure done mm-hmm. and that she had been in love with this doctor and had had an affair with him. And it was so painful that she'd asked him to have the procedure mm-hmm. done for her. And I think that that storyline in the movie in particular is really beautiful. And it kind of speaks to the main storyline with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet too, is that maybe there are certain people that are supposed to be in your life. Maybe (laughs) there are certain experiences you're supposed to have. And even if your memories are gone, you're going to find a way back to those people or you're going to find a way to like replicate the experience because it was something you were supposed to have mm-hmm. because even though her memory is gone, the feelings aren't gone. She still loves that doctor and she's mm-hmm. still, um, they still find themselves in a similar situation, which is yeah. it's really interesting and kind of heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah. I just realized in this conversation that it's a lot of what The Good Place is also doing in that, like, you can have your memory erased, but you still have, like, 
the the muscle memory or the emotional memory of a person or an experience mm-hmm. um I remember being really moved by The Good Place the first time I saw it, the first and second season, mm-hmm. um, just by the idea that, like, love is something that transcends, like, m- memory and consciousness. Yes, yes. And that, that, I mean, that's definitely what's being explored in Internal Sunshine is that, like, Jim Carrey loved Kate Winslet and Kirsten Dunst uh, loved uh, that doctor, and even when they had that erased from them, they still fell into those same patterns. Yes. Yeah. That's a really beautiful movie. That. It really is. I love it. Yeah. It's very emotional though. Yeah, it certainly is. But Kirsten Dunst also does an amazing job in that yeah. movie. It's a different kind of role than the other ones that we've been talking about. Um, it is. She's not playing an archetype like she is in dick and she's not playing um like a a real like strong uh outgoing kind of in your face character like in bring it on um she's just uh, she works in the office in the doctor's office and she's kind of his assistant and she's just uh yeah she's just really passionate about the work and she's not like a loud character I guess yeah she's a side character in that one too which is different she's not one Mm -hmm. of the leads yeah um and Dick and Bring It On are both like comedies really at the Mm -hmm. heart yeah and um Marie Antoinette is it isn't a comedy it's definitely like a drama but it's sort of superficial and decadent or her character is because it's Marie Antoinette Mm -hmm. yeah yeah this character in Eternal Sunshine is definitely not superficial Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are there any other notable performances that we want to talk about? I'm sure there are quite a few. Mm-hmm. What's another one that we were thinking of? Um, um, there are a few movies that she's been in that I haven't seen that I really want to see. One is Melancholia and mm-hmm. another is, um, a TV show on Showtime called On Being a God in Central Florida that is like currently on TV um, or on Showtime. I mean, on I becoming a God. In like Central aside Florida. from, ooh, on becoming a God. Mm-hmm. I like that title. I do too. Yeah. Like more so than other roles, I guess what I'm interested in is like why, which we talked about, like why is her work so resonant with us in particular or maybe like with millennial women Mm -hmm. or yeah why is this um an actress who we wanted to talk about her body of work when we've only talked about like isolated shows or movies Mm -hmm. or essayists or poets yeah I think what we were saying before in that she was just in a lot of the stuff that we were watching at pretty Mm -hmm. formative moments and like pretty formative movies too. Like Bring It On, I think, is a really important movie for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. Even if it is like kind of silly and campy, it's still um, like it's still a a cultural touchstone of the early two thousands. Yeah, um, I think Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind is a kind of a, has a a big cult following. It's a, I think it's kind of transcended into popular culture now, but. For a long time, it was just this this little indie movie that had all these big stars in it. Um, mm-hmm. it so I guess these these roles just kind of hit at all the right moments in my life when like my personality was kind of in sync with those moods, those comedies yeah. or those dramas or whatever, um, those roles mm-hmm. that she was playing. So it's always been very... Um, yeah, she's always stood out in a lot of stuff that I've seen because she's always been kind of an anchor point in a lot of stuff. Um, yes. We also talked about, um, this is the first actress uh, that we've talked about. Um, yeah. Even with like Fleabag, she, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is like the creator and writer of that show. And we weren't talking about her as much as we were talking about like the whole project. But right. Kirsten Dunst is not the writer or creator or producer of any of these things she is just the the actress bringing it to life 
Yeah. And it's a different kind of art in that it's very collaborative. So Mm -hmm. she doesn't have complete license with it the way like essayists and poets do. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's still something very her that shines through each of those roles. And we talked a little bit about it being like her voice or her cadence or the way she delivers lines that Mm -hmm. you can always tell it's her. I I love her voice. Mm -hmm. I really do. Yeah. I think she also just embodies a character well. Like she's got a good posture and a good like presence on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, even in Dick, when she is like 15, I think in that role, she's like kind of skinny and awkward with her body, but she's still like acting in a very convincing way. Yes. Yeah. Like when she's doing cartwheels in the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> like she's very, like it's, you can tell it's a girl who's like on the cusp of womanhood, but is still very much like a child, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, what she was, but she's able to put that on screen in an interesting way. Yeah. And in a precise and meaningful way. Like you can tell none of her work is accidental. No. She's doing a lot of good work in it. I'm trying to think of another actress that's similar to Kirsten Dunst, Um, in the variety of roles that she's able to do well. And Mm. I think of um, Rachel McAdams, actually. Yeah. She does a lot of different kinds of roles. So they, I think those millennial actresses for us came at a time where a lot of actresses were put in like a trope. Like you have your Meg Ryan who does the same role Mm -hmm. in every single movie, but like the range of like a Kirsten Dunst or like Rachel McAdams is like pretty yeah. remarkable. They're yeah. able to do a lot of different <clears throat> kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think of others from that time period. Um, Cause I think, yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's really easy to get typecast. Yeah. Um, and I think it still is a little bit. It um, totally is. But like, I think they did something really powerful for female <clears throat> acting Mm-hmm. coming in in the 2000s which is that they just were yeah showing this pretty pretty baller range yeah um, Rachel McAdams you know she's uh, Regina George and Mean Girls so she's that super popular like bitchy girl yeah but she was also able to like go do this like weird little like in the family stone she's mm-hmm. kind of like awkward and is wearing glasses and like band t-shirts and it's just a very different kind of person and mm-hmm. she does that movie Red Eye I think where it's like a thriller and then she's even a completely different person in that one so mm-hmm. yeah, everything is just very very nuanced yeah Joanne and I recently watched Arrival oh but yeah so that got me thinking about Amy Adams as Amy one of Adams those is another one Absolutely. range actresses yes. she was in Sharp Objects mm-hmm. Arrival she's in The Office yeah as wasn't Hot she like a princess and Enchanted too? yes yes yeah like she's just all over the place in terms of range as well that's another yeah. really good example yeah. I think Saoirse Ronan mm-hmm. um, is becoming that actress. She was in Lady Bird and Little Woman. Yes. Um, I love these range actresses. Me too. Yeah. Any other thoughts about Kirsten Dunst? Um, her smile also mm. is iconic. She has <laughs> a, this is a really weird analogy, um, but like I think of her smile, like the way I think of Will Ferrell's chest. Oh, tell me more about that. (laughs) (laughs) Just that, like, if I only saw her smile, like, with nothing else, I would know it was her. And if I only saw Will Ferrell's chest, I would know it was him. (laughs) You know what? Like, iconic. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yep. I know what you're talking about. I've seen Will Ferrell's chest a lot. Yeah, it happens a lot. (laughs) It does. You are correct. That's a very weird analogy, but it's how I feel. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I appreciate that you've put that in my mind now. <laughs> um, she does have a very particular smile. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like that her teeth are like, not um, like crooked or unstraight, but like they're very um, just distinctly hers. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. look like everybody else's teeth. Yeah. That makes me feel good as someone with crooked teeth. Well, it's just like, yeah, not like crooked, but very much. Yeah, you're right. They are very. I have an interesting theory. Like 
I think that orthodontry is really great in terms of um, helping with like big like differentiators, mm-hmm. but I don't think everyone's smiles should look the same. Nothing else yeah. on our body looks the same. Yeah. Like why should teeth all look the same? Yeah. I also had braces for three years and my teeth are still like I had braces for three years. I had oral surgeries. Oh, I wow. had all of my dent my baby teeth except for like one or two pulled by a dentist. Oh, wow. And like now that my like that was all great for like 10 years and then my my wisdom teeth grew in and now my teeth are just back to where they were basically wow so yeah I have some pretty complicated feelings about orthodontry yeah (laughs) I'm like I don't know that we should be absolutely I could do that doing that at such a young age like before your mouth can get messed up again I mean I didn't think my teeth like were that like like bad before but I also had braces for a couple of years Mm -hmm. but now I feel like my overbite is back and like Mm -hmm. they look the same as they did so yeah sorry Richard and Lori if you're listening (laughs) and all that money but yeah mine are not nearly as bad as they were when I was growing up I had like pretty bad teeth but um I also had a huge gap in my teeth Mm. um but I really need to have my wisdom teeth taken out but I feel like now is not a good time to schedule an appointment yeah yeah I was planning to schedule a dentist appointment and a hair appointment when we got back from Florida Mm -hmm. and then everything shut down in like three days so I was like well I got from my waxing and hair people this past week shutting everything down until maybe late April we'll see yeah well thanks for talking about Kirsten Dunst with me yeah anytime anytime I'm looking forward to maybe binging another Kirsten movie soon yeah. when we can see each other again. Yeah. <laughs> we should have a a recurring Kirsten day. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. I think that's all the notes I had. Okay. Hmm. Well, hey, reach out and leave us your thoughts about Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, absolutely. If you're listening. We'd love to hear them. Yeah. We are on Twitter now at, let me make sure I have this right. While you're looking for that, um, I should just say this. I don't know how we went so long without saying it. Kirsten Dunst is hot. She's hot. Gorgeous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, she's she's blonde, which the first role I saw her in was Spider-Man. So when I saw her again in Bring It On, I was like, I don't know how I feel about you with blonde hair. Mm -hmm. And I kind of assumed that she had dyed it blonde stupidly. um, Because I was like, oh, no, she's she's a redhead. No, she's not. yeah, she's really pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so we are on Twitter at Loitering Pod, and we are on Instagram at Loitering Pod, and you can send us a, an email at loiteringpodcast at gmail dot com hey. if you'd like to reach out. We would love for you to reach out or follow us and hear from you. Let us know what you're thinking, and we. M- Hope this remote situation works out and thank you for being patient as we figure Absolutely. it out. Absolutely. Yes. Um, okay. Until next, next week we might be doing a either guilty pleasures episode or a, what are we watching on lockdown episode? And those could actually coincide pretty well. They, yeah. They might be the same episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so until next time, I'm Mandy. I'm Justine. And thank you for loitering with us. Bye. Bye.